Right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation, and particularly we're going to be talking about uh, the benefits of holiness in, a, in our salvation. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We also want to say thank you to those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings, and in case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website, again, at lighthousediscipleship.org, and you can go to the top right corner where it says Give, and you can give them anywhere around the world. Uh, in case you uh, rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center, and you can find our mailing address on the bottom and the footer of every page on our website. Okay? Um, and if you're in the United States, just so you know, your tax donations and contributions are 100% tax deductible as we are a 501c3 church. So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the message this morning. I have a lot to cover, and, uh, uh, and so um, hopefully I can get this done, uh, this section done this morning as we go forward. So let me just give a little, a little recap. I'm going to be brief with my recap this morning. But... We've been talking about such a great salvation, and our first hour this is actually our tenth hour uh, on this. But uh, we've been talking about we talked about the gift of salvation. We defined what salvation was, and the Hebrew and the Greek we described that salvation is a gift. It's not something you can earn. It's a, it's a gift. And we described how we are saved by grace through faith, and it's not of yourself. Grace needs to be involved, and faith needs to be involved. It's not both one or the other. It's not all grace and no faith. It's not all faith and no grace. No, we have to put our faith in something, and that faith is put into His grace. And when those two things are combined, we, we see salvation. We, then we have our second hour, which is one of my favorite hours, is that we talk about the purpose of salvation. A lot of people think that the purpose of salvation is going to heaven and not going to hell. And although those are great benefits of the salvation, those are not the purpose of salvation. Even if there was never, not, not a heaven and there was not a hell, and there are, Jesus still would have died on the cross for us so that we could have a relationship with God. The purpose of salvation is a relationship with God. The worst thing about hell is that God's not there. And the best thing about heaven is that God is there and we can see him face to face. And so, um, the purpose of salvation is relationship with God. The benefit of salvation is going to heaven and being with him for all eternity and not going to hell and not being without God for all eternity. Good. Then we spent a couple hours talking about the necessity of salvation, why we need salvation, and we've been kind of still on that. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. We've, been, we, we, we've still been talking about that as we've been talking about in the last several weeks, the benefits of salvation. And under the, under the umbrella of the benefits of salvation, I've had some mini-series, and the, recently we've been talking about the benefits of salvation and how it relates to wholeness, okay? And then when we're almost done with this, we're going to finish this hopefully next week on wholeness, and then we're going to be talking about the benefits of salvation regarding healing, and the same with the benefits of salvation regarding prosperity. I could actually have many, mini-series on many benefits of salvation, including going to heaven and avoiding hell, uh, that I just mentioned. But these are the three that I felt led to, to, to spend time on as we're talking about the benefits of salvation, and more particularly we've been talking about this in recent weeks about all the benefits of salvation and how, and how it relates to wholeness. Okay, so, uh, so that's, we're, we're good, we're good. 
So, uh, let's go through our key verse this morning. Uh, again, from this segment, we talk about wholeness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24 says, Faithful is he that calls you, who also will do it. We've been talking about how we were a broken people and we were broken because of sin. God has reversed that brokenness through the cross. And we just celebrated Easter last week and Jesus came to fix us. Jesus came to make us whole. Okay? Jesus came to make us whole, spirit, soul, and body. We've been talking about these three elements of our wholeness and of our salvation, of our, uh, of our being over the last few weeks. Jesus came to make our spirit whole. Jesus came to make our soul whole. Our soul meaning our, our mind, our will, and our emotions, and many other aspects of our soul. Jesus also came to make, make our body whole. We've talked at length in recent weeks that your spirit is born again. Your spirit is a new creation. Your spirit is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And in Christ, your spirit is united to Jesus. In Christ, your spirit is righteous. In Christ, in Christ your spirit is holy. And again, we've been talking at length about spirit, soul, and body, and how Jesus came there to make us whole in all three aspects of our being, of our makeup. Okay? And I've been spending a lot of time talking about all three, more specifically the spirit, <coughs> in our last few weeks. But as we conclude this, and this week and next week, I'm going to be spending more time talking about the soul and the body and, and this aspects of our triune makeup. Okay? And so we'll still be talking about the spirit, but I'll be more highlighting these two as we go forward. So, you know, many do not understand spirit, soul, and body. Okay? Many don't understand, in other words, many don't understand what the flesh is. As we're talking about the soul and the body primarily, we don't, many of us, just only, even in the church and being born again believers, we don't really understand what the flesh is. We don't really want to talk about the flesh so much, but we need to understand what the flesh is and how it relates to our salvation and how it relates to us being whole, spiritual body. We need to know the difference between our flesh and our spirit. We need to understand the distinction between the two. In other words, how do we deal with the desires of the flesh? How do we deal with temptations? Okay? In other words, we need to reconcile the changes in our spirit <coughs> me again, versus our soul and body that has not changed. I want to repeat this. We need to reconcile the changes in our spirit versus our soul and body that has not yet changed. Okay? We've been talking about this at length, that, that our spirit is sealed, it's born again, it's a new creation in Christ, okay, it's born of incorruptible seed by the word of God. We talked about how our soul is in the process of being made whole, being saved, and how our body has been purchased, but it hasn't been redeemed yet. And so we need to reconcile the changes in our spirit but versus the, our soul and body that has not changed. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, our spirit is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Our soul is not, and our body is not, uh, not yet. Today has not been changed yet. Okay? I know, in other words, I know I'm changed in my spirit, but why do I still have these crazy thoughts? If we don't understand spirit, soul, and body, we're going to be confused when we 
read scriptures and hear messages about how we are changed in our spirit, but we are still having crazy thoughts, okay? How can I be born again and, and filled with, born of the spirit, filled with the spirit and still be tempted? If we don't understand spirit's own body, we're going to be confused and we're, we're, not, we're going to be lost in who we are and what we, what's going on here, okay? How can I be filled with the spirit of God and be drawn towards things I know are wrong, Okay? And so, we, in other words, even as a pastor and as a Christian, even myself at times, I've asked me questions, can a Christian do this? Can a Christian do that? Can a Christian do this and do that? And we ask these questions because we really don't understand spirit, soul, and body. We don't even really understand the scriptures and what the flesh is versus what the spirit is. It is possible to be born again and have a weakness in your flesh that the devil is exploiting and you don't know how to overcome. I want to say that again. Let me go back two slides, okay? It is possible to be born again and have a weakness in your flesh that the devil is exploiting and you don't know how to overcome it. Another way of saying that, or you have a stronghold in your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. That the devil built up over decades. But you don't know how to overcome. You don't, you don't know how to bring that stronghold down. See, when you became born again, you got a new spirit. We've been talking about that. But you still have the stronghold in your mind. So how do we bring down those strongholds? How do we bring them down? All of these things that are part of our victory that we have in Christ and in the Christian life. All of these things are part of being made whole, spirit, soul, and body, and understanding how to walk after the spirit so that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Many don't understand spirit, soul, and body. They haven't been taught it. Okay. Now, we're going to look at a couple different scriptures this morning. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. And so you can be, begin turning there to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29-32. In previous verses, uh, Paul had just described the, the, the fivefold ministry. Not all our pastors, preachers, whatnot. And we're all here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the, for the, um, for the edifying and building up the body of Christ. And I'm paraphrasing that right now. Excuse me. But let me preface this, this section towards the end of chapter 4. Paul, in context here, is talking about your spirit that is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. But he is also talking about things that you need to put off. In the same context that he's telling us that our spirit is sealed, he's also saying that there are some things that we need to put off. So, if it's sealed, if our spirit is sealed, why would there need to be things that we need to be put off if that wasn't true? He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers, and Ephesians is probably one of Paul's most positive books that he's written to any of the churches, and he's talking about how our spirit is sealed, but there are still, <coughs> excuse me, there are still some things that we need to, to put off, okay? Let's go to verse 29 here, and it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it, that it may impart grace to the hearers. He's, again, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to the church. Okay? 
He's talking about, don't let any corrupt word come out of your mouth. Okay? Not just talking about cussing and whatnot, that, that, that wouldn't involve that, but he's also talking about anything that would be negative, uh, a gossip or whatnot. Okay? And he said, goes on to verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We're going to come back to this verse because it's my key verse for this section. Let's move on. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking put away from you with all malice. Let all bitterness. In other words, in the context of what we're talking about so far this morning, can a Christian be bitter? Okay? It's not God's plan. And that bitterness didn't come from your born-again spirit. That bitterness, if you have it, came from your flesh. And now that you're now that now you're that bitterness is now now you're being dominated by the bitterness of, of your heart, of your soul, versus the Holy Spirit. Now, have you seen someone who's been bitter? Would they have been dominated by that bitterness instead of the Spirit of God? Maybe a tragedy happened. Maybe someone did wrong. Maybe they were violated, or whatever the case may be. And there's some horrible things that have happened to people, and that bitterness has now controlled, dominated their heart and their life instead of the Spirit of God. Okay? Let all wrath and anger. You know, again, can a Christian fly, just fly off the handle? You know? I know I have, and I, I'm embarrassed to say so. You know? and But we don't have to. And it doesn't make it right. It's not right. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's wrong. He goes on to say, he talks about, Glamour, clamor and evil speaking. You know, this is, keep in mind, this is not a complete list. <laughs> Paul could have mentioned many, many other things. But are these things right? He's talking to the church. No, these things are not right. Do we need to overcome these things? Yes, we do. Do we need to quit it? Do we need to stop it? Yes. So we know the answers. We know there's some things that we should be doing, and we know there's some things that we should not be doing, even as born-again believers. So if we know the, the answers, if we, <coughs> excuse me, if we know what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what not, why do we struggle with other questions? Why do we have other questions? Can a Christian do this? Can a Christian do that? I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just, I'm just being a little frank right now. I'm just being a little transparent, honest, and whatnot. Because some of us really struggle with some of this stuff. Okay? And why do we struggle? Why do we have these questions? And again, I'm not being mean. I'm not being picking on. But I, I'm, as a pastor, as a teacher, I'm just trying to teach something here. Because we don't know the scriptures. And we don't know spirit, soul, but we don't know who we are. As born again believers. And again, this list of Paul in Ephesians 4 is not a complete list. But keep in mind, church, we are being inundated. Did I said it right? I don't think. Inundated. Thank you, uh, Sherry. In our culture, with all kinds of goods of thinking. There's a lot of thoughts out there, there's a lot of philosophies out there. And we're being inundated. But with a culture that has all kinds of thinking. That is contrary to the word of God. 
And it causes people to be confused, even in the church. Again, going back to Ephesians 30, 4 31, let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Let's go back to verse 30 real quick. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He's talking to the church from whom you were sealed for the day of promise. In the same scripture, he says we're sealed, but we can grieve the Holy Spirit in the same sentence, in the same context. Our spirit, as we've been talking about, is sealed. The spirit does not leave us, but the spirit that in us can be grieved. Are you following me? Paul just said it in the same sentence. The spirit is grieved when we are bitter. The spirit is grieved when we are speaking evil of one another. The spirit is grieved when we are angry and we're flying off the handle. The spirit is grieved when we are malicious and hurt one another, even on purpose. The spirit is grieved when we judge things prematurely. The spirit is grieved when we lie and bear false witness. The spirit is grieved when we are unforgiving. This is not an exhaustive list. I'm just taking some of the things that are in context here. Are you following me? But for Paul to tell Christians to stop doing these things, it indicates that it is possible for Christians to still be doing some of these things. Let me say that again. In context, if Paul is telling Christians to stop doing these things, stop grieving the Holy Spirit by who by whom you were sealed. It is possible that Christians can still do these things. Why would he tell someone who's been sealed by the Holy Spirit to stop doing something if it wasn't possible? Are you following me? Okay? It doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's God's will. The Spirit does not leave us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. Our spirit is sealed, but the Spirit of God can be grieved. My born-again spirit is not accepting these wrong things in my heart and in my life. My flesh may be, but my born-again spirit is not. Because whatever is born of spirit is spirit, whatever is born of flesh is flesh. My spirit is grieved when I do these things, and even when I see these things happening. God does not leave me, but God in me is grieved when I do these things. Again, this was not an exhaustive list. It wasn't just these top five or seven items that he mentioned. Your flesh is capable of anything independent of God. This should keep us humble. This is why we don't act out of self-righteousness because the only thing that keeps us from being just like the worst sinner is Jesus. And all of us are subject to following and failing. And if you don't think you are, just by doing that, you just have failed. Because it, Jesus, Paul says, take heed, anyone who stands, take heed lest he fall. We need to take heed. There's some things that we need to understand. All of us are subject to falling and failing. None of us are not subject to this. Yet, we no longer want to be controlled by the dictates of the flesh. We want, instead, we want to be controlled by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. 
All of us have weaknesses in the flesh. And if you don't think you have a weakness in the flesh, just by disagreeing with that shows you have a weakness. Because that's a weakness in itself. That you don't think that you are subject to falling and failing is a weakness. You're deceived. And that's dangerous. For example, you do not know how to control your tongue. James is pretty blunt, but no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. What that we bless our God and Father, and what that we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Now you're talking about the church. We do that in church. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, he's talking to the church, these things ought not to be so. And it's the same in the church today, in the family, among spiritual siblings, as it was back in the days of James. We all have weaknesses. We all, some have problems with alcohol, some with drugs, some with lust, some with perversions, and depression is another one. Some have issues with gossip and slander. Some have issues with bitterness and anger. And there's, there's more. This is not an exhaustive list. Okay? These things are terrible. And all of us are weak and flawed in our flesh somewhere. In our flesh. I'm not talking about our spirit. I'm talking about in our flesh. None of us are perfect after the flesh. And if we don't learn how to walk after the spirit, as Christians, we will still fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul said in Galatians 5.16, I say then walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The key to controlling the flesh is not the flesh. The key to controlling the flesh is walking in the spirit. That is born again. See, temperance, we're, right here we're in verse 16, verses 22 to 23, he talks about the fruit of the spirit. And the last one he lists is self-control, temperance. And temperance is the fruit of the spirit. Not the fruit of the flesh. I don't control my flesh by my flesh, which is my will, which is part of my soul. I control my flesh by walking in the spirit. And the moment, the moment I'm not walking in the spirit, maybe I woke up wrong, maybe I have a bad attitude, maybe I just got my eyes off Jesus for a moment, just like Peter did, he began to sink as he was walking in the water. The moment I get stopped walking in the spirit, it can, it can be in the middle of a second. I, I just lost control of my flesh for the moment. That makes sense? So how do you get your flesh under control? Get back in the Spirit. Get back in His presence. Get back in the Word of God. That Spirit and His life. Get back in there. Okay? If you are unplugged, get plugged back in. Okay? I say then, again, walk in the Spirit and you shall not. You cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh when you're walking in the Spirit. That is an oxymoron. You can't. The only way to control the lusts of the flesh, and lust is strong, I'm not just talking about immoral things, even though that's included. Your flesh will lust for things. It will lust to be angry. It will lust to be depressed. It will lust for food. It will lust for things. Okay? And the only way to control the flesh is walking in the spirit. Okay? Christians today are but Christians today are confused. See, we as see Christians buying into so many philosophies of the world. Now, again, I'm talking about 
the soul and the, and the body by the day of next week. We see Christians being conformed to the thinking of the world. Paul said in Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, he qualifies it, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. Paul is pretty blunt right here. In Romans chapter 7, he's being transparent. He says, in me, in my flesh, there is no good thing. But I thought God dwells in me. Yes, he does. But in your flesh, nothing good dwells. And here's Paul. This is Paul. Okay? Are you telling me Paul wasn't a believer? He wasn't saved? For to will is present. It's present. Where? In his spirit. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. If we don't control our soul and body, and that's by walking in the Spirit, I'm not going away from that, we can be drawn to things that don't please God. Okay? That grieve the Holy Spirit. God does not leave us, but God can be grieved. We don't get born again, 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 and again. Okay? That is not scriptural, that is not biblical. That's not even possible. Okay, I'm not going to go there today. God will never leave me or forsake me. But I can't grieve the Holy Spirit. When I sin, I need to be quick to repent. And I hear a lot, see a lot of things on Facebook about repentance. And I'm in agreement about repentance in and of itself. But repentance in the Greek means to change your mind. There is no true repentance and changing of your life without first changing your mind. And that's your soul. Your mind, will, and emotions. You can't change your life. You can't turn around and go in a different direction if you don't first make the decision to do so. Which is in your mind. Okay? He gave me, Jesus, God, gave me His Spirit to lead and guide me into all truth. There are things the world does that God doesn't want us doing, and there are things we once did or are still doing that we need to quit doing. And the only way you can do that is to understand spirit, soul, and body, and to understand how salvation works, and to understand how God is making you whole. Spirit, soul, and body. Not just in your spirit, which we've spent a lot of time talking about, we will keep referring to, but also in your soul and in your body. Your soul and body are still operating under the symptoms of death. Paul said this in Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally or naturally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. To even think Natural is death. That's carnal. That's natural. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. He goes on to say, verses 9 and 10, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, we talked about that. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body 
is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We're going to come back to some of this. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also, hasn't happened yet, give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. In other words, there is a good thing inside of you and me if we're born again. And that is Christ in us, the hope of glory. But there is no good thing in my flesh or your flesh. So I have to learn how to deal with this on a daily basis. It's not just a one-time thing that I have to deal with my flesh. I'm not born again in my spirit again and again and again. But there's something that I have to deal with on a daily basis with my soul and with my body. Okay? Let's go to the next passage we're going to go to for a while. We spent some time in Ephesians 4. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be verses 1 and 2. We're going to be spending some time here in Romans 1. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay? There's a lot here. First of all, he's beseeching us. <coughs> he's beseeching us, brethren. He's talking to the church. Anytime you see brethren, he's talking to Christians. Okay? Brethren, by the mercies of God. He's not doing this out of anger, wrath. He's not doing this maliciously to hurt us. He's, he's, got, and he's beseeching us by the mercies of God. The goodness of God. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy itself to God which is your reasonable service. He separated you from your body. You're born again. You, the real you, are to present your body as a living sacrifice, etc. Okay? Again, you're supposed to present yourself as a living sacrifice holy self of God. And going through this a little faster, I'm going to slow down and, and talk about some things here. Okay? Let's go to verse 2 real quick. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's your soul, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's talk about don't be conformed just for a moment. I'm going to go back and forth with some of these thoughts, but hopefully uh, uh, that makes sense in the end. Don't be conformed. In other words, don't look like the world. Don't sound like the world. Don't talk like the world. Don't act like the world. Don't be conformed. You're different. Okay? Be transformed. Okay? That is a radical change. It's like a... a, 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 a the word transform is the word metamorphosis. Metamorpho in the Greek. And it, it's, it's where we get metamorphosis, like a caterpillar to a, a butterfly or a tadpole to a frog. Be transformed. And how are we transformed? By the renewing, the renovation, that's, that's a Greek word for that, the renovation of your mind, that's your soul, that you may prove what is a good, acceptable, perfect will of God. I believe God has one will for your life. And I believe God's will for your life is good, it's acceptable, it's perfect. It's perfect for you. God's will for your life, it may not be perfect for me. Okay? But God designed you 
for a purpose. God saved you for a purpose. And we don't just need to discover that purpose. We also need to cooperate with God in our spirit, in our soul, in our body. Let's go back to Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Again, he separated you from your body. We've, we've already been talking about at length that we are a triune being, spirit, soul, and body. Your body is important to God. But you are to present your body as a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. Okay? Again, spirit, soul, and body. I am a spirit. That's the real me. I have a soul. That's my mind, will, emotions, intellect, reasoning, opinions, whatnot, personality. And I live in the body. But the real me is my spirit. That's born again. And he said, you, that's you, your spirit man, is to present your body as a living sacrifice, etc. You are to present your body as a living sacrifice. Okay? And we just read a minute ago, because this is Romans chapter 12, but Romans chapter 8, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, and indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of God, Christ, he is dead, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. You're supposed to present your body as a living sacrifice, and your body is dead because of sin. But your body can be yielded to God for a good purpose. Or your body can be yielded to the enemy, the devil, for an evil purpose. We must understand that the devil tempts us through our flesh, not our spirit. Okay? Let's go back again real quick to Romans chapter 12. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let's talk about this. Living sacrifice. We have to be taught how to be a living sacrifice. Because Christians are not being living sacrifices. They're being drawn to the subject of the world. We are so drawn into being conformed to this world. That's not a living sacrifice. We're being drawn into the world of darkness and pain and death and sin and corruption. That's in this world. Not just this country. Okay, That's harming us and our children and our grandchildren, etc., and as born-again believers, we are to be offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps getting off the altar. Okay? It's like throwing a, a frog in a hot water. That's not how you boil a frog, and I've never tried this, but I've heard it. You put it in room temperature water, and you slowly bring it to a boil. Otherwise, it's going to hop out. Okay? Under the old covenant, they offered a death sacrifice. That, that lamb, that turtle dove, whatever it was, that bull was not going to hop off the altar. Why? Because it was dead. But under the new covenant, we are to offer a living sacrifice. And there's something about a living sacrifice. It wants to get off the altar. It doesn't want to die. Okay? Living for God is a choice. It's not a mandate. In a sense. Okay? Going to church is a choice. Being in the Word of God is a choice. Trusting God is a choice. Tithing, 
Worshiping God is a choice. Loving one another is a choice. Obeying God and being saved is a choice. Okay? You are choosing to submit your opinions to the kingdom of God. You are choosing to submit your emotions to the kingdom of God. Your feelings to the kingdom of God. Your views to the kingdom of God. Your thoughts and your will to the kingdom of God. Yet all of us are still wiggling off the altar every day. And some of us are not just wiggling, we're jumping off. Okay? None of us are offering our body as a, as a living sacrifice all the time. We might do it in church. We might do it on Sunday. We might have a good streak. But none of us are perfect and doing this all the time. Because anything that's out of faith is sin. We're, we all struggle not only things that we shouldn't do, and things that we, we're, but we're also not doing things that we should do. None of us are always offering our opinions for the fire of God to consume it all the time. Key word here, always. We might do it, and we might have done it, and we might, might have done it more than others. But none of us are always offering our opinions for the fire of God to consume them all the time. None of us are always exchanging our opinions for His. His thoughts, His will, okay, His emotions, which is the fruit of the Spirit and whatnot. None of us are always willing to put our cares and our worries on the altar so that His fire can consume our fears and our worries. I'm going through something right now that fear is going to raise his head. And fear is torment, 1 John 4, 19. Okay? We're facing something right now that's very serious, and, and fear wants to keep care and worry keeps wanting to pop his head. And my flesh keeps wanting to jump off that altar, and I have to come day by day, moment by moment, and say, Lord, you take my fear and give me your peace. Okay? Laying down our truth and our reality in exchange for the truth and God's reality. Okay, none of us are always doing that. Most of us treat the kingdom of God as a visitation versus a continuous habitation where we live, where we dwell. Your temple, your body belongs to God for Him to dwell, not just visit, but to live. And the world is offering their opinions and their thoughts to you every day through the media, through music, through all different ways, and it has creeped into the church in many ways and levels and whatnot. The world is offering their lies and their philosophy to you every day. And instead of putting those things on the altar before God, many of us have begun to adopt those things as our own philosophies. Our, what's a philosophy? Your, a way of thinking. Okay? The way, the way the world begins to ensnare you and begins to corrupt you, making what God has done in your spirit of no effect. Because your mind is like a pipe that your spirit has to flow through. And when I teach spirit, soul, and body, I've ta taught many times through Andrew Womack's book, Spirit, Soul, and Body, and teaching and it's, you know, your soul, you, you got your spirit on this side, and you got your body on this side, and your soul, your mind will, is in the middle. And it depends which one you're going to turn on. Are you going to turn on your spirit and let your spirit dominate your life? Or are you going to turn on your flesh and let your flesh, your feelings, your opinions, your views, your thoughts, your, your attitudes 
to be controlling your life. Why well, don't feel like it? Well, it's not based on what you're feeling. Put your feelings on the altar and let God be true and every man a liar. Which one is going to dominate? Are you going to walk in the spirit or are you going to walk in the lust of the flesh? And your soul, your mind, your will determines which one is going to dominate whether you're going to put your will on the altar and let God's perfect, acceptable, good, pleasing will dominate you and your life and your thoughts, your emotions, and control your life. And your soul is the valve with this pipe where either your spirit of God is going to flow in and through you or your flesh is going to quench and grieve the spirit of God and rule the day. Am I making sense with this? Because your will has to be submitted to God. And your will is your soul. Okay? For the power of God that is in your spirit, the resurrection power of God, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the fullness of God is in your spirit. And the power of God will enter and flow into your spirit to manifest in and through your life. Your will needs to be submitted to God. Okay? Present your bodies a living sacrifice holy. Let's talk about holy for a moment. I can spend a lot of time talking about this holiness. Paul said in Ephesians 4, just before the passage we read earlier this morning, that we are to put off the old man and put on the new man in the spirit of our minds, which created, according to God, in true holiness, in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness is not what you do. Holiness is who you put on. But we have to present our bodies holy. Our spirit man is already holy, but our bodies are not holy. Your body in and of itself is not evil or holy. You're like, whoa, what's, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by my, my, how can it be not evil or holy? How can it be neutral in that sense? Your body's dead because of sin. Yet my body is still alive because of the spirit that is inside of me. Is dead because of sin, and yet inside my body is life. The Spirit of God because of righteousness. The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit, where is the Spirit? It dwells in you. Where are you? Inside your body. Okay? But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Our same hands, let me, let me give you some examples. Our same hands that can still be tempted by demonic powers and devils can also be yielded to the Holy Spirit and lay hands on the sick to see them recover. Our bodies can do evil or they can do good. Depending on whether we're going to be yielded to the flesh, demonic powers, or whether our hands are going to be yielded to the Spirit of God, and lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Our same hands that can be fists and hurt somebody and harm somebody can again be hands that lay hands on the sick, lay hands and touch someone and bless them. Let them know that they're not alone. You know, we all need touch. Some of us need a hug. Some of us need someone just to put their hand on our shoulder so we can lean on them. 
Your hands can be used to hurt somebody, or they can be used to bless someone. It depends on who you are yielding your body to. Our same feet that can be lead us into mischief and to sin can also be yielded, can be shod with the gospel of peace. The same feet that can lead us to a life of destruction can also become beautiful on the mountains of the feet of him who brings goodness, which is the gospel. So my body can come under the influence of the devil for harm and evil, or my body can come under the influence of the Holy Spirit for righteousness and good. I have to choose who and what I am going to yield my body to. My body can be holy, but my mind and soul must first be renewed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, we already talked about conform, but let's not get this word conform once more. Okay? In the Greek, I'm not going to pronounce that word, okay? it means to be shaped like the world. It means to think like the world, or to sound like the world, or to even look like Means, that's what the word conform it means to do something that's shaped like, the thinking like, it's after, it looks like, it's conformed to it. Okay? It's in the mold of the world. Most Christians values and key, most Christian values and key social issues sound just like the world. I'm talking, I see it on Facebook all the time. There's many people who call themselves Christians and their values and their key social issues to, in our culture today sound just like the world. Houston, we have a problem. Okay? We're to be transformed. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be holy and good. We're supposed to be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That we may experience and demonstrate the perfect will of God. Not only in our life, but for the world to see the goodness and awesomeness of God. The power of the Christian life does not come from my mind and my soul. But it does flow through my mind, my soul, and my body. You and I have all, the pow all this power, the resurrection power, the fullness of God on the inside of our spirit. We have the fullness of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And you and I have all this holiness on the inside of our spirits. It's true holiness. It's true righteousness that's inside our spirits. But if we don't, if we won't flow, it won't flow freely in our life if we don't agree with it, if we don't yield to it, if we don't even know we have it. A part of my soul my mind is my will. And every day I have to say, not my will, Lord, today, but yours be done. I have a will that I have to put on the altar and sacrifice it. I don't want my will. I want his will. And I have to sacrifice my will daily. My flesh wants stuff. It loves for stuff that are not necessarily godly. And I need to sacrifice those things daily. Everyone has an opinion. It's like a nose. We all have one. It usually has a couple holes in it. But we all have one. 
And people are proud of their opinions. The world is very proud of their nonsense opinions. And many Christians have fought me through the years over sin, declaring it was their truth. I've heard Christians fight me over simple things, what is right and wrong, and some of this has to do with backbiting and being bitter and, and slandering others and being unforgiving one another, and they, they, they claim it was their truth. As if their truth exalted the Word of God. Nothing could grieve the Holy Spirit more. Okay? I'm not after, I'm not here to offend you. I'm not here to, to, to be inconsiderate of you. I'm here to preach the truth. And if the truth offends your truth, then it needs to be offended. I'm not being mean, but you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set, set you free. Paul said, have I become your enemy because I speak the truth? Well, you know, and the truth, I'm not going to back down from the truth. Okay? I'm not here to hurt you, but I'm here to preach the truth. And the Spirit of God who is in me will lead me and will lead, if, I, if, if I'm his instrument, his vessel, he will lead you into all truth. There's no such thing as your truth. Your truth doesn't matter. And I'm not being mean, and I'm, not, I'm definitely not being politically correct, which I believe is the spirit of Antichrist. I am not, I'm not about being politically correct. I'm about being biblical correct. And many of us have not, have not learned to put our opinions on the altar that are usually religious or of the world. And allow God's fire to consume our opinions in exchange for God's opinions. Jesus said it this way, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions which you have handed down and many such things you do. Our opinions, our traditions can make the word of God of no effect. And I am not interested in that. I'm not just talking about putting your opinion on the altar. I'm talking about putting my opinion on the altar too. Okay? Many will say to me, well, they didn't ask me for my opinion. That's why they're in such a mess. There's good reason we didn't ask for your opinion. Okay? I don't respect my own opinion independent of God. And I won't respect your opinion independent of God. But if you have an opinion that is based and founded in the Word of God, the Kingdom of God, I'm all ears. Okay? But give me, give me your opinion if it's been in the altar and sanctified by God. Otherwise, I don't want your opinion. I want what both of you wrong. And you don't want my opinion if it's not sanctified by the word of God. I want what both of you wrong. I don't want to know what you think. I don't want to know what I think. I want to know what God thinks about the matter. Because that is what's going to change me. That's what's going to change my circumstance. And the way most Christians talk is being conformed to the image of this world. The way most people live their lives is being conformed to the image of this world instead of being transformed into the image of Jesus. The world has a philosophy about things. A philosophy is a simply is a way of thinking. Okay? And before we need, we were saved, we had a philosophy about life. And some of us still have that. It's still in our mind because they haven't been renewed yet. God has a philosophy about life. He created life. He is life. Okay? 
And God has a way of thinking. God has a philosophy. And the world's philosophy regarding most social issues is demonically inspired. I know I'm stepping on some toes, but some toes just need to be stepped on. Okay? We need philosophies that are inspired by the Spirit of God. And God has a way of thinking about abortion. God has a way of thinking about gender. God has a way of thinking about marriage. God has a way of thinking about climate change, the weather. God has a way of thinking about civil rights and poverty and homelessness, substance abuse, and teenage issues. And the, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some of today's key social issues. Today, the world and much of the church is confused about these social issues. Why? Because much of the church has adopted the world's philosophies. Much of the church has adopted the world's opinion. Much of the church has adopted the world's view and the world's nonsense. And sometimes, like even right now, when I even share God's opinion, even in the church, there is a story. Houston, we have a problem. Even people going to church don't want to know what God thinks half the time. A part of, uh, switching gears in a little bit here, a part of my soul is my emotions. I talk a lot about my will, my opinion, philosophy, but part of my will, soul is my emotions that need to be put on the altar as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. And as real as my emotions are, they are unreliable. I'm not here to hurt your feelings. I'm here to teach your truth. I just said that a minute ago. Because your feelings is part of your emotions. Okay? I'm here to help you discover your identity in Christ. That you are born again. If you have received Christ, you are born again. And you can't be functional in life if you are confused. And where does confusion come? Satan is the author of confusion. You can't fulfill God's plan, his will, if you are confused. Again, another topic. Pure science does not contradict the word of God. Pure science. There's a false science. And only false science contradicts the word of God. Life is in the blood. Okay? Not just in the body parts. It's in the blood. Blood can't lie. Blood tells the truth. And your blood will tell you if you have a Y chromosome or not. If you have a Y chromosome, you are a boy. If you don't, you're a girl. That's, it's as simple and as complicated as that. Okay? Yet some people say, I'm being insensitive to people's identity confusion. There should be no identity confusion if you know the Word of God. There should be no identity confusion if you serve Jesus. There should be no identity confusion if you're born again. Because if you are born again, there is no identity confusion after the flesh. Because your flesh is dead. You are born of God. He's your father. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, Therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. For, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is in the creation. All things have passed away, and all things have become new. He says in Romans chapter 6, 
I recommend, likewise, also recommend yourselves to be dead and be the sin. The word sin here is a noun, it's not a verb. It's talking about your sin nature through Adam. He's talking about your flesh. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I quoted this a minute ago, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth. The truth is in Jesus. Colon. What is this truth that we put off concerning your former conduct, old man, which is gross corrupt according to the deceitful lust? We just talked about lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's what we're talking about in Romans chapter 12. And that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This truth <coughs> that we are to so learn that is in Christ is that we put off the old man and in the spirit of our mind we are putting on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, there's a lot more. I'm actually out of notes here. Uh, I thought I had more in my notes for this morning. Uh, but there's a lot more. And next week I'm going to uh, wrap this up. And I'm, I'm surprised that I'm, I, have some, I still have 15 minutes left. And yeah, I'm out of notes here. Um, but, you know, let me just piggyback on some things here real quick. Uh, since I have some time. I'm hoping I'm making sense. I know I'm touching on some social issues right now. Or whatnot. You know, I mean... And another verse that comes to mind, I think I have this in my notes for next week, but, you know, there's neither male or female in the, in the kingdom of God. There's neither Jew or Greek. Uh, uh, um, I'm trying to quote the verse right now. I think it's in Corinthians. Um, but we, you know, there are, anyway, I want to get off this political rabbit trail. My part I'm trying to bring is that our spirit is sealed, is redeemed. But our soul needs to be renewed. Our mind needs to be renewed. You know, I'm talking about the benefits of salvation. I'm talking about specifically wholeness. And our spirit is whole, but some of us in our souls, we're not whole. Our minds, our emotions. And Sherry and I are going through something major right now. And we're, we're having a hard time processing. We know better. We're teaching this. But there's some parts of our own flesh that need to get on the altar. And let God be true and every man a liar. Our flesh needs to be crucified. And we die daily, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, you know, we have a great salvation. And Jesus came to make us whole, spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit is whole. But our mind, our will, our emotions are still in the process of being whole. So that our body can be whole. And I'm going to be, eventually after we're done with talking about wholeness, we're going to talk about healing. But healing is not just a, a physical thing as far as the body is concerned. Healing is also a, a, a physical, is also a soul thing. And so of us need to be healed in our souls. And I've been honest with some, some people I'm accountable to right now, like my wife, my, my, my parents, and and uh, even uh, some good Christian friends we've talked to this week, you know, some of the things that we're going through right now, I don't feel like I'm necessarily handling it right. Even though I'm preaching it, I don't always feel like I'm pastor when I'm preaching. I'm just being transparent right now. I'm just being real with you. Now, even though I preach some of these things, and I touch on some social issues, some of the things I'm talking about are not just social issues. They're just real-life stuff. And there's some things that have just caught us off guard in the last couple of weeks 
that are threatening some of the areas of our lives and our livelihood that it just and, and that has stirred up some emotions that we need the Holy Spirit to control so that we walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh. And our flesh wants to be loud sometimes. It wants to live. It wants, it, it, it wants to dominate. It's like, ow, I don't like this, and so it's going to react. That doesn't make it right. That is wrong. But we, what's the key? And one of the things that God has been teaching us in the last few days, we actually were listening. We've been, we, Sherry and I have, our flesh is not handling it well, but we are doing everything we know to do in between the pieces to be in the Word, to worship God, to call on uh, the uh, people in the church to pray with us and encourage us, to help us, to counsel us. Even as pastors, we need that sometimes. And one of the things I, I was listening this week is Catherine Coleman. I listened to a message from her. I haven't really listened to a lot of her messages before. Sherry and I were listening to it again yesterday. You know, and uh, I'm just trying to convey because I have a few minutes here. I still have 10 minutes, so I'm going to take them. You know, uh, but it just, uh, we, you know, Catherine Coleman was talking about, she didn't claim she had any of the gifts of the Spirit, healing, faith, whatnot. She, her biggest thing was that she just recognized the person in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the person in the presence of the Holy Spirit was more real to her than the circumstances, even herself. She was walking in the Spirit and not out of the flesh, and she was seeing results. And one of the, the, the amazing things about her, her ministry was she said that it wasn't so much people coming forward and asking for prayer and seeing the big demonstration that took place. She said many people got healed just from hearing the message, right in their seats. They didn't come forward. There was no demonstration. There was no. There was no shouting. There was no manifestation of that that nature. But there was healing, because the spirit of God is everywhere, and it's the presence of God. It's the person of God. It's, and and one thing about the Holy Spirit, He will always point you to Jesus. And many people who mean well, but they're operating in the in what they call the spirit, and I've done this too. They're focused on the flesh. And, and, and this whole message that we were hearing to was Catherine Coleman was trying to say, how do you get your miracle? And at the end of this message, she said, you need to get your eyes off yourself. You need to get your eyes off your faith. And you need to get your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And one thing Jerry and I have taken away from this is that we need to get our eyes off the storm. We need to get the eyes off us. And we need to get eyes off of what we're doing and what we're not doing. And we need to get our eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will go straight to them. We need to get our flesh that is crying out saying, I don't like what's going on right now. I don't know what to do because my eyes are upon you. And that's another thing we read from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. When three large armies came against Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel, that Jehoshaphat simply said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And they were led to put the worship team on the front lines. And sometimes the, be the very best thing you can do to get your flesh under control is to get in the spirit. Worship God. Get your focus on God. It's hard to be complaining. It's hard to be negative. It's hard to be in the flesh when you're being thankful. And the number one thing we need to do is worship God and exalt Him and worship Him and praise Him and let our flesh die. And that is a living sacrifice. 
There's a, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 that we, we need to give the sacrifice of praise. And sometimes praising God, my flesh did not want to worship this week. But that is the place. That is a powerful place. And we need to get, sometimes we need to get our opinions, our emotions, our will out of the way. And one of the best ways to do that, one of the best exercises to do that is just start worshiping God. Get your focus off you. Get your focus off this and that. Get your focus off even some spiritual things. And get your focus on Jesus. Get your focus on God. Because one thing Catherine Coleman hammered in real well, and one thing that was her biggest pet peeve, her biggest thing, is that the Holy Spirit will always point you to Jesus. And if anyone who's operating in the Spirit is pointing you to anything else, that is not God. That is not the Spirit of God, because the Holy Spirit, the gifts, will always point you to Jesus. Will always do that. He won't do anything else. And the Holy Spirit is here on this earth just as if Jesus was here physically. Now we know Jesus, God, is omnipresent. But the whole, Jesus said, it's better that I go that the Holy Spirit would come. And we've been born in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is here, church. And we need to walk after the Spirit. Our spirit is born. Whatever is born is a spirit is spirit. Whatever is born as a flesh is flesh. When our spirit is united with God, if we don't have it, we are none of His. We have the Spirit of God. And we have everything we need in our spirit is in seed form. But we need to get focused on Jesus and not the flesh, not our problems, not our issues. Not our faith or lack of faith. It's not about you having more. You already have the faith of Jesus. Romans, actually, we read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, but we kept reading chapter verse 3. We have the same measure of faith. We all have the same measure of faith. You don't have, there's not different measures. We have not all exercised it, but we have the, the you know, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't walk with God without him. You can't serve him without him. You can't break sin without him. You can't conquer the flesh without him. There's nothing you can do as a pastor, a minister, a person, a Christian without Jesus, without God. There's nothing you can do. And the focus needs to be on him. Because he's the answer. You know, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was captured. And when it was released... David had, was returning to him and his men, and they were not transporting it the way they should have. And it tipped over on the cart that the Philistines had put it on, and one of the men reached out to, to stabilize it, and he was killed. And it angered David's heart that the man who was, had good intentions still just did something that was forbidden, and he died. And it angered David, and so... Instead of bringing the, the ark all the way home, he put it in a man's house called Obed. And while the ark was in Obed's house, his family was blessed. Healing took place. His finances were blessed. I don't know how long it was there. But while, and the ark of God represented the presence of God. While the ark of God was in Obed's house, 
His house was blessed. His family was blessed. His finances were blessed. His body and their health, everything about them was blessed, was made whole. And it wasn't anything Obed did. It was just God's presence. And we have made sometimes Christianity so complicated. Well, the number one thing we need is God's presence. One of my most favorite passages of scripture is, I forget the reference, but usually it was Moses who went into the, the tabernacle. But it was one time when Joshua went in with him. And the Shekinah glory came down and met with Joshua and Moses. And when the meeting was over, Moses had left, but Joshua lingered. Joshua, this warrior, just wanted to be in his presence. And we have the war after they crossed the Red Sea where Joshua was fighting and Moses was lifting up his hands and it was Aaron and her who kept his hands up. It's God's presence. We need his presence. And, you know, in the, in the New Testament, wherever Jesus was, there was always a miracle. There was always a healing. Jesus changed the water to wine. He, he saved the, the, the wedding banquet. There is nothing that God can do, and Jesus is on the inside of us. His presence is there. And we need to get our focus off our flesh. We need to get the focus off us. And we need to get our focus on him. The author and the finisher of our faith. Because if you want faith, he's the author of it. And he's also the finisher, the completer, the perfecter of it. We need to have hope. Hope is a positive expectation of good. And our hope is Christ in us, the hope of glory. I know I'm saying a lot of different things. I've got one minute left. I'm just taking these minutes, and, and this is all spontaneous this last 10, 15 minutes that I've been talking. I'm just sharing some of my own mail this week and what's going on in my own heart without going into the details. Because it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Because what we're going through is what many of you go through, whatever your circumstance or situation is. I'm taking the nuggets. I'm taking the principles. And they're universal. Because... The same way that God works in my life is the same way God's going to work in your life. And vice versa. The same way that God worked through Paul's life, through Catherine Coleman's life, through Billy Graham's life, through anyone else that we, that we esteem and we'll look at, any other minister. It's the same way that God, God's not a respecter of persons, he's a respecter of his word. And, and anyway, we have a great salvation, folks. Our spirit is born again. But some, our souls, our minds are, are still in the process of being renewed and being transformed. And we can know the perfect good and perfect will of God. And we can experience salvation and wholeness in our soul and in our bodies as we yield them to the Holy Spirit. I hope we doesn't bless you. I hope we doesn't man, man beneficial to you. I do know in our circumstance. I don't know how it's going to happen. And that's one thing Captain Cromer said. I don't care about how it's going to happen. I don't care God, what's going to happen. I'm going to leave that to God because I'm not him. What I'm going to do is put my focus and my attention and my worship on him. And he'll take care of the details. He'll take care of the how. And right now, Sherry and I are in a situation where we need a miracle. 
Now I'm just going to close. I know I haven't done it. I probably should do this more often, but I'm just going to close in prayer for you, for us this morning. Lord, you know the circumstance that we're facing right now. And we know that you have the power to, to heal, to deliver, to set free, to make right, to make a way where there is no way. But Lord, you are our God. And the power of life and death are in the power of the tongue. And we just, this circumstance that we're facing, we just cancel it in the name of Jesus. And we command this circumstance, this situation, to bow to the name of Jesus. Lord, that you gave us the power of attorney to use. In the name of Jesus, we turn this situation around. And we thank you for your provision. We thank you for uh, the miracle that you're putting in our hearts that we need to, to change this situation. We worship you. We exalt you. We magnify you. Your word says in Mark that we must believe that we receive the things that we ask for and we shall have it. And we believe it and we receive it in the name of Jesus. We cancel this situation and we thank you for your salvation your prosperity, to make us whole, spirit, soul, and body in this situation. I speak for everyone who's listening. I don't know what they're going through, what's going on in their situation. I thank you for healing. I thank you for provision. I thank you for miracles. I thank you for wisdom. I thank you for whatever needs to take place. If we need a miracle, then we receive it right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you are alive, and we, there's nothing, there is nothing impossible for our God. And we worship you, we magnify you, and we will receive the things that we ask for in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, six times when Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit in John 13, 14, and 15, I know, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Six times, and while he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he's getting ready to go to the cross. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Six times. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about going to the cross. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. We can ask that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask, and you shall receive. Amen. God bless you guys. Let me share you something.